This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager. My co-host, Greg McMichael, of course, Director of Braves Alumni Relations. We're giving him the week off, but fear not, he'll be back with us next week. But in the meantime, we've got a really fun show for you this week. B.B. Abbott, Executive Vice President and Managing Executive of Wasserman Baseball. If you're a longtime Braves fan, you're probably, you've at least probably heard B.B.'s name. He is, of course, Chipper Jones' longtime agent, is now Matt Olson's agent. He was Brian McCann's agent. Long list of prominent baseball players and a lot of prominent Braves that BB has represented over the years. So BB was in town uh, for the game tonight and was kind enough to stop by and uh, grace us with uh, some of his time and uh, really, really fun getting to know him, pick his brain a little bit about being an agent and about how he became an agent in his career. Just a really good time with him. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Here he is. B.B. Abbott. Well, B.B., thanks so much for taking the time and for sneaking into my, maybe I'll just call this the studio. I won't even call it my office anymore. This is now the studio for Behind the Braves. So thanks for coming good. Yeah. It's very substantial. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I got, you know. I got tried to set it up like uh like you'd see a you know TV show on ESPN or something all the bobbleheads I love the books it. I got Chipper's book back there I see you know, that it's all I see here. that all right well let's start from the beginning uh, how did you first I, I know having read up on you Chipper of course has talked a lot about you you guys go I mean way back to your childhood childhood friends but how, where did the idea when did you first start getting interested in being an agent how did that idea first come to you or what, what first sparked that interest in you yeah so I, I think originally when I was in college and then ended up going to law school my thought was to get in or break into baseball on the team side um, you know I, I, I got a couple of offers out of law school as a in marketing and some other divisions in, in the baseball departments and my dad said no I didn't know uh, send you to law school to go do that. So you're going to have to go get a real job. And, and so I did. Um, I went and practiced law uh, for about five years with a firm by the name of Foley and Lardner. Uh, they represented Major League Baseball at the time out of uh, Milwaukee. Uh, it was Seelig's uh, attorneys. Um, and so when he became commissioner, they started representing him and uh, Major League Baseball. And so I started uh, working for Foley for about five years. Uh, Chipper and I obviously were in very close from growing up, and he was going through his divorce at the time. Uh, and his actually his marketing agents were Payne Stewart's agents, and uh, they passed away in that uh, in that plane accident mm. where the the cabin lost pressurization and they ended up um you know, they ended up dying. And so he asked me to come on and handle a lot of his marketing stuff and was going through the divorce and knew I was a lawyer and, you know, just wanted really to focus on baseball at that point. And uh, he asked me to to come on and help navigate that stuff. So I did. And the following year, um, I ended up taking over everything for him uh, contract wise. And that was the year he won the MVP and we were off. So that was, you kind of answered my next question. I don't guess there is a formal process for, okay, like I'm going into college. I want to be an agent. It is 
this, this, this. It's there's not a formal process, right? I mean, I guess is going into studying law maybe the most preferred path, and then you kind of try to network your way from there, or is there's just no two paths alike? You think? Yeah. So there's a, there's several different paths. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's one at all. I, I think that that my law degree helps me every day, and what I do um, from a contract standpoint, from a negotiation standpoint, the experiences that I had as a litigation attorney and arbitration and mediation and things like that certainly help me, uh, but it's not necessary. I mean, there's a lot of very good agents that do not have a, a law degree and, um, you know, they, they uh, do just fine. So there, there's not one path on, uh, to, to actually come into being an agent, uh, but, um, you know, it certainly help, it helps me. And, and I, I couldn't imagine doing this uh, without having a law degree and having that experience of being a lawyer. So you, you start taking everything over for Chipper. He wins MVP in 99. So then how does your business start to grow then? I assume other players are seeing the the, chi- the trust that Chipper, uh, who's especially at that point as big a name as there was in the game, the trust he placed in you and the faith he had in you, did that kind of help start to open the doors to expanding just beyond Chipper? It did. I mean, I, I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to grow my practice. I knew that I wanted to grow the firm. I uh, didn't really know at that time uh, what how I wanted to do it. I mean, it was 1999. I was in my 20s um, and, and faced with, you know, negotiating a very big contract with two Hall of Famers and John Schultz and Stan Kasten. And, right. uh, and um, you know, so I, I was really ultra focused on on that at the time uh, and then at the same you know when that when I was clear with that I, I knew that okay it's time to get to work and how am I going to build this thing and so I, I started you know trying to figure out you know how I was going to build it you know I really wanted to be quality over quantity uh, I started to recruit some kids um, out of South Georgia and some in Florida but mostly South Georgia because that's Braves country and I knew that I would have at least a foot in the door uh, that contract certainly allowed me um, to have a foot in the door and having Chipper as a client certainly had uh, gave, gave me that opportunity. Without that, I would not be sitting here today. I mean, there's there's no doubt I tell Chipper that all the time, or he, I should say, he reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> so without that, it wouldn't have I wouldn't have had that opportunity. So for two years, uh, you know, I, I represented a couple kids out of South Georgia, a couple kids out of Florida, um, just to kind of get my feet wet, um, to try to get involved with the draft, to try to get to know some of the area guys, which led to getting to know some of the regional cross checkers which led to getting to know some of the scouting directors and the, and then ultimately the general managers because you know at that point I didn't have any experience in baseball I attached myself to as many uh, area scouts which were younger guys like myself as well as assistant coaches at colleges uh, Brian Peters was a guy that um, he was at USF University of South Florida at the time and I would I was literally in his pocket everywhere he went hey who's that who's this you know who's that scout uh, and just trying to get to know everybody because you know, you I did it backwards, right? I, I negotiated this very large contract for probably the biggest client that I'll, I'll ever have. Um, hopefully not, but you know, I mean, <laughs> right, as right. of you know, as of right now, probably the biggest and, and most famous client that I've I've ever had. And then I was forced with, okay, now you go build a company. So it gave again, it gave me that foot in the door. I think it gave me some credibility, uh, but it was still hard. Uh, it took me a couple of years to really make an impact. And 2001 was really the first year that uh, I got the opportunity to. 
represent some players, um, you know, that were uh, highly rated uh, type of players. Jeff Mathis being one of them, uh, who he's actually going to the game with me tonight, and uh, you know, recently retired and had a great career. McKay McBride, who was the Braves uh, draft pick sure. uh, in 2001, was the next, and in 2002 was Jonathan Broxton, and ultimately led to Brian McCann, and and we were off. But it took a couple of years, you know, to to get there, uh, and it was hard. Uh, but again, without that contract, without Chipper bringing me in to do that, this would not have been possible. Well, and it always, I, I tell people this too, when they ask about working in baseball, it starts with some connection like that somewhere. I mean, some folks are able to come out of school and they're qualified and they get the right interview at the right time. Uh, but for me, I mean, I feel like I had the skills to to do what I do and to work in baseball, but it still took a, making a meaningful connection along the way. And even beyond that, it was still a couple years before connection and opportunity finally came together at a time where, you know, I, it was ripe. It was ready for me. And uh, so I think that's that's it's I think it's a story for a lot of people that work in the game. Uh, Stan Caston has the best story of all. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know it or not, but he met Ted Turner. And I think his father gave him as a gift and graduating from law school a trip to I think all 30 t- uh, stadiums. And he ended up meeting Ted in the stands uh, and then ultimately became you know the general counsel at 20 something years old for wow. several different uh you know organizations at the pro level so yeah it, i think you have to make your own opportunity but at the same time you have to be fortunate and i'm extremely fortunate to having grown up next to a hall of famer well it's 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 like a small little world, this baseball world, because so I just I just met Jeff and Tyler, Pastor Nikki out there who's with you now. So I met Tyler once before and it was on the Braves Country Caravan in January of 2013 when I was just long story short, I had done this thing for Major League Baseball the year before. I've always been a Braves fan. It had got me a little bit of attention, made some connections with the Braves. So they invited me down to kind of do some social media stuff and fun stuff on this caravan for two weeks. And uh, Tyler was on the the bus uh, one of those days and he was quite a character I still remember it very funny and uh, yeah. sat next to me actually for for one of our our uh, jaunts up the road and uh, I really enjoyed getting to, to be around him but it was on that same uh, bus trip that I met somebody who at the time it was her first day with the Braves as an intern what we call trainee and she and I kept in touch and two years later she reached out to me and said, hey, I think there's a job here that would be perfect for you. And it was just from that, that one bus trip and just making a connection and being nice. And it, it all yeah. came full circle. So. Listen, I mean, you never know who you're going to meet at what particular time you're going to meet them. And I think that that's a good lesson, right, for everybody, especially young people, because you don't know. You never know. You never know when that person might come back into your life. Tyler, I've known since high school. And, you know, he was a starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, I, I always give him a hard time because his claim to fame was he beat out Andrelton Simmons. I always ask him how <laughs> his career is going now (laughs) and uh, you know so I knew him and he was represented by another agent um, in in Tampa and I just stayed in touch with him I'd see him out and about and as we were growing our company at the time uh, he became an alternative you know for us and he is a tremendous agent Uh, he knows the game we're sitting at these tables and every family he talks to every kid that he talks to uh, he's gone through you know those things so you know I'm fortunate to, to have those relationships that I keep going for a reason, right? If I'm around people that I think are talented or I think that, that I'm around people that I think, you know, might someday uh, be able to fit something for me, I keep them close and I keep in contact with them. You mentioned sitting, when you're sitting, you or Tyler, whoever whoever's working for you, you're sitting at these kids' tables and these families' tables. What are, I mean, what are the important things 
when you go into those situations, what are the important things that you and your staff are always keen on remembering? What And beyond that, I would imagine, is, is there a difference between, say, when you're going to talk to a high school kid and his family and a kid coming out of college. I mean, what, what are, what is that process like? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, that there is a big difference, you know, with college kids, sometimes it's on their own. Sometimes they want mom and dad to just kind of put a stamp of approval on it. They kind of handled their own stuff. Maybe they've been through it already out of high school, but you know, they're becoming their own men, you know, at that time. And they want to make, you know, they want to make that call by themselves and make sure that mom and dad are okay with it. Sometimes the parents are more involved in the process, but it's much more business oriented at that point. They understand pro baseball. They've been through two, three years of college. Uh, so they understand you know, what it takes, the work that it takes, and they're becoming men you know, right in front of their parents' eyes. And I think that they get a little bit more leeway to make those types of decisions for themselves. In high school, um, it's much different. I I think that mom and dad are looking for somebody to take care of their kids. Um, They know that they're a long way from uh, from the big leagues, and they know that they have a long, very rocky road ahead of them, uh, and they're getting ready to to likely work for the first time in their life uh, for a living. And so it's a much different type of recruiting, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the same, right? They have to feel that personal connection to you. Uh, There's a lot of good agents out there that can do a good job. Uh, for uh, you know, for for players and for families, but at the end of the day, that relationship is something that's extremely important. And, and I think that um, whether it's out of college or whether it's out of high school, that's truly what you know the families are looking for, and what the kids are looking for is to be extremely comfortable that when you speak for them outside of their presence, that it reflects what they're uh, looking to accomplish. Absolutely, I grew up in the world of NASCAR, dad was a race car driver. And I felt like sort of through osmosis, I got to see and be around what it was like and start to develop a sense of people that were there for the right intentions or kind of in around you. And then some that were trying to capitalize and then really in some unfortunate situations, you know, watching my dad learn the hard way that like, ah, oh, this person was not here for the right reasons. Right. And, and those are lessons I've carried with me. So I, even to me, I'm not an athlete. I think that speaks to me with what you're saying is that the way you put it is they know that when you're speaking on their behalf that you're representing them and their best interests and how yep. they, they want to be represented, which is great. You kind of got a NASCAR driver's name. Ricky yeah. Mast. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that, that's, that, that is a NASCAR driver's name. That's it my is. dad's name, Rick Mast. So yeah, I love so, it. so there you go. That's actually, it. that's, uh, yeah, that's a picture of me waving the green flag there that's with great. him. So that's great. Uh, you brought up, uh, negotiating chippers for his contract earlier, and I definitely wanted to dive into negotiating with you or the art of negotiation because, and I've said this before on this show, Mac and I, and we've talked to Alex, we've had him on a few times or anybody that's been in the front office. We've had some of the baseball ops guys. I always say that if I could be a fly on the wall in any situation in sports, it would be in the negotiating room with the agent and the, the GM because because I'm a terrible negotiator. Like, I'm just horrible at it. <laughs> so I'm fascinated by people who do it and do it well. What what are some of the keys? Well, actually, let me back up. How was that first negotiation? I mean, we, you, ta- you touched on it. So let's start there. How was that first one for you? And knowing it was a big one. Yeah, I mean, it was... <sighs> It's funny because the first one is not entirely unlike the, all the 
ones after that. Um, the, the components or the concepts are still the same. Some of the language is a little foreign to me uh, on the guarantee language, insurance language, things of that nature. But the actual negotiation part, um, it, it wasn't a lot different than you know what, what I would encounter today or what I would have encountered as a, as a lawyer. Just the stakes were much different. Uh, and you have to you know, really understand what your client wants, um, try to understand what it is that the team wants, uh, and then try to see if there's you know some sort of um, convergence of, of those two paths. And for Chipper, it was extremely important for him to be the highest paid b- played baseball player um, ever, uh, even if it was only for five minutes. He that's something that he thought that uh, that he had earned, and uh, that became our focus. You know, to make sure that it was structured in a way that uh, that accomplished that goal, uh, but also uh, was accomplished in, or something that that we were was extremely important for us to accomplish was you know that we thought that he would be in the bra- in a Braves uniform, and that's something that was true throughout his career that happened in every negotiation, whether it was with John or with Frank or, you know, whoever, Alex, whoever it was, you know, in the future, you know, that was always the underlying theme as Chipper wanted to wear one uniform uh, his entire career. And we were able to accomplish that. And and I think that that was the first time that, you know, I really um, decided, you know, to myself that this is not about me. This is about him. This is what he wants. This is not about going and getting the very most money um, because that was not what was important to him. Uh, he could have gone to free agency and got more money multiple times throughout his career. Uh, but I think that what we did was we tried to get as much money as we could uh, out of a place and to try to retain leverage. Uh, and I think we did a pretty good job, you know, with him. And, and at the end of the day, um, whether he left 20, 30, 40 million dollars on the table that was insignificant to him the thing that was important to him was to to stay in that Braves uniform and uh, and obviously we accomplished that and at the end of the day that's all that matters is your players happy yeah and, and speaking as as a lifelong Braves fan not just as a guy who works for the Braves now who grew up watching and loving Chipper that was one of those things or that was one of the biggest things I would say beyond his play on the field which spoke for itself that I felt like endeared him to well, Braves country was that he wanted to be a Brave and he made it. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have felt like when he, he said, well, you know what? I'm going to negotiate, renegotiate my contract so that uh, the team has more money. Like, I'll, I'll take less so that uh, the, as an agent, I can't imagine that's music to your ears. But at the same time, legacy wise and importance to I mean, that that endeared him that much more to Braves fans. And we will always love him for those reasons. Yeah, it, it's funny because all of those different GMs that I dealt with with the Braves, you know, all had different styles. And uh, but at the end of the day, again, they had one objective: keep this guy in Atlanta, keep him part of Braves country. You know, do not let him get away. And so I think that there was a recognition on both of our parts, right? That um, we had something that we needed to work together to try to make happen, and and to try to you know put these pieces together of okay, he needs to be paid enough, you know, where he's market value, and the Braves needed to pay him enough to where it worked within their budget. Okay, let's find a solution. Uh, and no matter who the GM was, whether it was you know Copy or, or Frank or uh, John or Alex, you know that was always the underlying theme. And I give those guys all credit because um, you know we ultimately got uh, you know got us into a place to where that was accomplished. After uh, after his appearance in the booth the other week, do you think you're going to have to start negotiating his his full time broadcasting? Uh, do I know he did it for ESPN for a little bit, but yeah. that, that broadcast the other week was. Uh, I had to. I feel like you were sitting there smiling just as much as the rest of us were. He, you know what? He could have had a job doing this um, right. over the last couple of years. He is having a hard time uh, not 
touching the guys, uh, not being able to work with guys in cages and talk hitting and 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 those things. You know, it, it's a little unfair because when he did it with ESPN, it was during COVID, so yeah. it was remote. Uh, he never really gave it a, uh, a a good run. You know, at, at trying to do the broadcasting thing, he'd be extremely good at it. Uh, he's you know he's very insightful. He gets the rhythm of the game, uh, much like Smoltzy does and and Frenchy. Um, you know, Glav does a great job, and and so you know he would be extremely good at it. It's just, you know, I think that he is not ready yet to not put on some form of a uniform and get out there and evidently take balls off the arm and whatnot <laughs> right. when, when he's snag, shagging balls in BP. <laughs> right. It's nice even now when I go out for BP and it's it's just kind of a nice, familiar, comfortable feeling to see number 10 just walking yeah. around out there during BP. So it's yeah. it's great. When he took that ball off the arm uh, not too long ago, I said, why don't you just stop doing yeah. that? <laughs> well, just, just stop. You're, it's, it's time. And he said, no, that's the only exercise I get. And I said, well, you better go get on a track. <laughs> well, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, this quick topic. I I was just pitching to some of my fellow colleagues here in marketing the other day that I feel like we need to put some seats on top of the chop house Mm -hmm. and we need to brand that with something Matt Olson related. And we need to just have a Matt Olson fan section because I've been here since this ballpark opened and been at almost every game uh, in the press box and people don't just hit home runs up there. (laughs) And Matt has put a couple up there now. So what's that been like bringing Matt back to Atlanta uh, and quickly getting that deal done, which that had to have been. I was in spring training when that happened. I was in the room of, for the press conference on the field when we got the news the trade was going to happen the day before. I mean, coming out of the lockout, that was just from my side, that was a crazy 24 hours. I can't imagine what that was like for you. What was that like for you in, in representing Matt? It's funny. You mentioned Alex earlier and, and having talked to him, they, a camera crew should have been on him during <laughs> that 48 hours because it was a master class. Uh, he was extremely focused. Um, you know, he, he knew that he wasn't going to sleep. He knew the significance of the person that was leaving the organization and Freddie. Uh, he, and, and he understand that he understood understood the, the gravity of the situation and he knew that if he made the move that he was going to make that he was going to be closing a very big door I, I think and but opening potentially another door and so he was very uber focused on getting Matt done uh, and you know th- that with Alex was different than any other negotiation because it was so hurried right and again you you figure out what the motivations of the person is that you're negotiating against um, you know the motivation of your client, which is an Atlanta boy uh, coming from Oakland. And man, he would love to to be here. He and his wife, Nicole, would love to be here the rest of their career. And um, 
you know, you, you take that information, you go, okay, let's see if we can get it done. And it happened extremely quick. Uh, but it, there was not the, the pomp and circumstance that goes back and forth in some of these negotiations. It was a very honest conversation. And I think, you know, quite frankly, that if Alex and I had not had the relationship that we had, it likely would not have got done in such a quick period of time. But there was a mutual trust, you know, having dealt with Chipper, um, you know, with Chipper continuing on with the team, you know, and, and having that relationship with him uh, in the draft. Charlie Morton, you know, was an, another uh, very big part of that um, and the relationship that we were able to form uh, with Charlie and just really talking no nonsense. And that at that moment, the, the key for me was to know, all right, I need to work with Alex. I cannot work against him. He's been through a very hard time, a very hard negotiation uh, and very emotional uh, about, you know, ultimately seeing Freddie go somewhere else. And I need to work with him and we need to get this done. And we did. And again, I give him credit because he was able to focus on what he needed to do while at the same time being extremely emotional about uh, one of the most popular players that has ever put on a uniform here. All right. So last question. I know that working in baseball, even in my much less prestigious role than yours that no two days are alike. I mean, the p- first pitch time is always the same, but no two days are alike. But still, if somebody would ask me about working the game, I'd, and they'll ask, well, what is like, what is a typical day like for you? I'll try to compile together a sort of what a typical day is like for me. I got to imagine that's even more extreme for you. But if, if, if somebody were to ask you, what is a typical day work day like for you? What what is what does that look like? I mean, is it making sure you're checking in with X amount of clients today? I mean, what what is that? What is a typical day like for you? Yeah, to tie up your last you know question in regards to Alex and and Matt and the reason I'm saying this because I got in I flew into town, I knew that I wanted to come up and with another one of our agents, Al Getz, who recruited um, Matt and at the time out of high school out of Parkview, and so we went to lunch. So let me take a step back for a second and tell you that a huge part of that negotiation was Matt Olson, right? And the type of human being that he is. And now that everybody sees the type of human being that he is, uh, it it made my job extremely easy because Alex did his research when he was making that trade. He knew the type of person that he was getting. He knew the, again, the, the, the enormous nature of what was going to have to happen for Matt to come in and try to, you know, not fill those shoes. And, and Matt held, you know, Matt, handled that 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 question in the uh, in the uh, initial press conference he handled it extremely well and they asked him about filling Freddie's shoes and he wasn't there to fill Freddie's shoes he was there to be Matt Olson uh, and you know that the negotiation is and there was a perfect way to answer because Matt Olson is Matt Olson and I think that Braves country has seen that now so that made that negotiation extremely easy to do when you're representing somebody like that so I anyways I flew in uh, went to lunch with Nicole and, and Matt um, handled a bunch of calls. We had a kid that, or a player that we've represented for since 2000 and uh, gosh, 2012. Uh, he just got DFA'd and he's a longtime big leaguer. Uh, had to deal with that uh, today, uh, this afternoon. Um, talked with some other agents that we have in our in our company that um, you know that are recruiting guys. So talked a little bit about that. Talked a little bit um, with our guys that put together some of our recruiting packages. At this point, they would tell you that I've been kind of put out the pasture, all of our younger agents, <laughs> but I, I'm still, I, I tell them that I'm a good delegator and I, you know, I kind of sit above and just watch everything from the 10,000, you know, the 10,000 foot view. Uh, but 
my average day uh, really just depends on the type of day it is and the time of year it is. So now, you know, in the summer, um, before it was all about recruiting. It was all about, you know, getting ready for the draft, which is, is coming up, you know, here in, in less than a month. Uh, and we'll have a tremendous draft this year. And, and kudos to, and shout out to all of, you know, our agents at Wasserman uh, putting together the type of draft class that we're going to have. Uh, and so a lot of it's going to be centered around that, handling calls in regards to the combine really uber focused on the guys getting into the combine and then ultimately coming out and being ready for the draft uh, and then you know recruiting at the same time so you know we're recruiting two and three classes away from the draft this year so we're this is the 2023 class right so we're recruiting the 24 and the 25s and the 26s even uh, and so those are always going on and that happens throughout the summer through august and then it really it just i flipped the the switch so to speak or flip the page uh, and it becomes really the off season you know at that point as we get into playoffs and I'm seeing clients uh, as they're in the playoffs and then we get into the off season and then it, you flip it again uh, and it really goes to negotiation and uh, arbitration work and free agency and then try to get a little personal time uh, in there and, and always try to take a vacation uh, right around um, October, November, December depending on who's in the playoffs uh, and then the calendar flips and it becomes something completely different it's getting, it's getting ready for an actual arbitration uh, if you're going to, to hearing uh, it's you know handling and getting making sure the guys are, are getting ready um, for uh, for spring training you know at that point but they are correct in that before you know when we were operating as jet sports management uh, and I was really handling a lot of that stuff myself uh, it was a lot more hectic and now you know since Wasserman has acquired us and that's going extremely well and we've done a good job of of hiring very competent people that you know do a they're very, very good at their job. Um, they're, they're people that I could not live without at this point. Uh, they'll all be calling me for raises now. Uh, but, you know, that, that they allow me to, you know, really see things from that view. Uh, and, and so it's, it's changed for me over the last 20 years uh, to be able to go from making sure that a guy had their uh, equipment order, right, which I don't have to worry about now, uh, to now worrying that, to making sure that, you know, they're just okay. Are, how are you doing? doing you know and we get to talk about that those types of things personal things and i can really focus on being an agent uh which i miss some of those times honestly because you get to know those guys you know Mm -hmm. if if their bats aren't good and they're having a hard time and they want to explore another cleat or whatever the case might be i mean that you know those were those were the days you know back in the early 2000s and now i'm really just just worried about making sure that everybody in our company uh is in a good place and uh and happy and making sure that all of our guys are ultimately happy but I do not have to micromanage the people that work uh, with me at all. They, they're extremely good at what they do. That's awesome. Well, uh, I don't, I could, I'm so fascinated by what you do. So I could sit here and pick your brain all day, but I want to <laughs> let you get out there and enjoy the of game with, with your crew. So uh, th- BB, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it.